0: Lara Solomon is a serial entrepreneur and business lover who is always on the lookout for the next opportunity or side hustle. Currently, she's focusing on growing Hoopsie, an eco-friendly pregnancy test brand with a fertility community overseen by healthcare professionals. With Hoopsie, Lara found a way to combine her passion for sustainability with her desire to help others going through the often complicated and lonely fertility journey. As optimistic and extroverted as Lara is, it hasn't always been smooth sailing, but her focus on connecting with others and supporting the community always helped. In this interview, she openly shares her own experience of trying to conceive, what she learned along the way, and why even one less plastic test in landfill makes a difference. I just
1: feel it's so important, and it's like, if I don't do it, who's going to do it? Maybe that's, I don't know, maybe that's a bit big headed. I don't know. But I think so often in life we we kind of go, not my problem. Oh, I'm just going to use another plastic bag, another straw. Another, what does one more matter? Well, everything we do makes a difference. So if I can just change a few people's habits, a few people's perceptions about brand, brands in terms of sustainability, it's all going to have a knock on effect. Welcome, Laura. Very pleased to have you. How are you today? I'm good.
0: Thank you. It's lovely to be here. Well, delighted to have you. And for those of our listeners who haven't um, necessarily heard of you before, I really like the description that you have on your website, which is a serial entrepreneur, business lover and speaker full of ideas. So is that a fair um, description of what, what your life
1: is right now? Yeah, pretty much. Just, um, yeah, crazy startup world. Just, yeah, making things mm-hmm. happen, I guess. Yes, but there's
0: one project that's very close to your heart and there's probably one thing that that is taking the most of your time right now. So do you want to tell us a bit more about that?
1: Sure. So um, what I'm working on at the moment is um, a brand called Hoopsie and it's an environmentally friendly pregnancy test. So a midstream test, one that you weigh on. Um, that's made from 99% paper instead of plastic. So it's much better for mm-hmm. the planet. Those current midstream tests in, that are plastic take 30 years to break down a landfill, whereas because ours is paper, it just takes weeks.
0: Yes, and I'm sure there's many people who might be thinking, well, but what's the statistic? Look, do people use that many tests, or does that really make a difference? It's probably something you use only once and in your lifetime maybe. And, and you know, what what do you say to that?
1: Well, that's what I thought before I kind of went down this path. But actually, when women are trying to conceive, they use three tests on average every time they check. And um, so, if you're, it takes on average a healthy couple under 35 six months to get pregnant. So that's three tests a month for six months. And if you're doing IVF, you would take a lot more tests. And I mean, I've met women that have used 600 tests. So. Mm-hmm. The numbers can be crazy high. Um, so people might think, oh, it's a small little problem, doesn't really need solving. But actually millions and millions of pregnancy tests are sold globally every year. And it's a massive issue. And I, I heard you say problem solving.
0: And I think that's an interesting one, because again, I think you could be described as a problem solver. Is that what really motivates you in the various businesses that you have started in the past, including Hoopsie Now? Is that really what, um, where you get the inspiration from?
1: Um, I guess so. Although I hadn't really thought about it like that, which seems kind of strange, but it's kind of like with this, it was just like, this is crazy. Why is it plastic? Why hasn't anyone done anything thing about this? Well, obviously they haven't done a thing. They're not going to do anything. So someone's got to do something. That's going to be me. And so I do not really see it as a problem to solve. I more see it as a solution that needs to be provided, that needs to be on offer. And I think that's the same with every business I've had. It's like there is a need. Someone needs to deliver on that need and no one else has noticed. So let's just do it. Mm. And does that mean there's not
0: really many competitors to Hoopsie out there in the moment? If I were to go out and, and go to a mainstream pharmacy, would I be able to find your product or any competitors' products? Or
1: We're currently, as far as I know, the only sustainable midstream pregnancy test in the world. Um, mm-hmm. We are selling in um, 30 pharmacy stores in the UK. So depending on where you go, depends on whether you'd see it's on shelf. But it's, mm-hmm. It's something I'm trying to get us into more retailers, but it's challenging because the retailers don't then they don't see it as a problem that needs to be solved. So it's trying to persuade them that people do want this product. They are looking for this product and it is just as good as what's out there. It's just much better for everyone.
0: Oh, that's. That's very interesting because when I mentioned to a few of my friends that I'm interviewing you today and that this is what you do, and, and it's almost felt like a no-brainer. No one argues and said, oh, what a terrible idea, um, why I really want to use plastic. So so it sounds a bit strange to me, but I guess that's one of the many challenges that you have to navigate as a small business owner.
1: Yeah, I mean, that is the thing. Every single person I speak to says, it's a no-brainer. Why hasn't anyone done this before? And so on a consumer level, yes, everyone's like, great, love it. But on a retail buyer level, Mm -hmm. I think it's a case of better the devil, you know, in Mm that sell x number of these per week and it brings us in this much money and ultimately i need to deliver in terms of um, financials and if we replace it with this other product is that going to be the same Or the and the sustainable angle is not enough of a persuasion for them so we'll see but i think i saw somewhere you described yourself not just as a serial entrepreneur but also
0: a social entrepreneur and i think your business obviously my understanding is that you're trying to solve something else other than just the plastic in the in in the ground but but I think you started with a a bit of an idea of what that community should look like who should work in your team and, and what you're ultimately trying to achieve I think it goes a little bit further than just saving on plastic.
1: Yeah I mean one of the things I found through talking to women and my own personal experience is that when we're growing up you're told the whole time don't get pregnant don't have sex you know you're going to have a baby but no one talks about that when you actually want to get pregnant when you actually want to have a baby it's all kind of don't do it but in then reality what's happening is that people are when it comes to trying to conceive, they're having problems. I mean, there's now like one in seven couples in the UK have problems trying to conceive. And they're saying that um, 50% of men in the Western world will be infertile by 2045. There's, there's a lot of scary facts out there due to environmental factors due to habits, like, you know, exercise, diet, that kind of thing. And It's something that I really think we need to be aware of because I don't know about you, but growing up or when I was at school, it was all just like, this is how sex works. Here's how you put a condom on a banana and off you go. And no one spoke about anything relating to your fertility or what impacts it or any problems that you could have. And so that's one thing why we do it. We have an online free online fertility community to support women and educate women. And it's just the more and more I get into this space, it's like this can of worms. It's like you think it's only fertility, but then it's like things like PCOS and endometriosis. And Mm
0: -hmm. I went
1: to a conference on the weekend and they said it takes seven years on average for a woman to be diagnosed with endometriosis. So someone that has it has to go through that pain, that talking to GPs, that is a problem, trying to persuade them it's a problem. And this is happening a lot of these areas of women's health and fertility. And it's just something that really needs to be brought to the forefront, because lots of the times women think, oh, well, I'm just being a bit pathetic, or, you know, it's not really a big deal, because they get written off by doctors or whoever. And actually, it is a big deal. And people need to be listened to. And part of the re- how they can do that is through educating themselves, and there isn't really much education out there at the moment.
0: Yeah, so you're trying to solve part of that problem by having an online forum. But I suppose what's interesting about it is that it actually has professionals, medical professionals, moderating, so that people can be confident that getting scientific advice rather than just somebody told me one day in the in the pub that this worked, and you know it- it's never been tried and tested, but they tried anyways.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's what I'm when I was trying to conceive. I was in a lot of communities and I kept seeing someone would post something and someone would say, My cousin's sister's brother's aunt had this, and this is what happened. And there's always those outliers, there's always that random person we all hear about that didn't know they were pregnant and one day was in the loo and a baby popped out. And you know, it's (laughs) very hard for a regular person, you're kind of like, there's those stories that really give you hope, but realistically, how often does that happen? And and how often do people like, you know, that whole just relax and it will happen thing. And it's just the worst thing you can do because you can't relax just because someone tells you to relax. It doesn't, mm. there's so many factors that go into it. So I just felt that people, yes, they need, women need the support, but also they need proper advice. And obviously, it's not going to be tailored specifically to them because obviously the expert doesn't know their history and everything, but at least it gives them like reasonable, like proper information, like where to go, what to look for as opposed to false hope or in the other side of it, just basically saying, Oh, don't worry about it. Or, you know, writing off something not, not important, which can happen as well. And then things get missed and, it's just yeah there's so many myths out there it's it's crazy and you probably just need
0: someone out there to to just really listen but in a non-judgmental way instead of people who might be close who may be as you say trying to help but really only making it worse by giving you know their opinions or things that you know are well intended after all but but just build on to to that pressure and unless you've gone through that from speaking with my friends i know it, it's just very hard to relate
1: It is. And I think it's, people don't realize how emotional it is. And I didn't realize either until I went through it. And it's, you know, the smallest thing can upset you. And you're hoping so much that it's going to work. You really, really want that, you know, you want to get pregnant or you want to, whatever it is you're, you're hoping for out of the situation that it just doesn't help not getting the right information. And and it can upset you really, really easily.
0: Yes, I think we sometimes need to be reminded of that. But um, we will come back to, to Hoopsie. But I, I thought that I might actually ask you a little bit about your your background, because you are a Brit, but you've spent a big chunk of your life in Australia. And in fact, I think that's where you're hoping Hoopsie going to go next after the UK market.
1: Well, when I was at uni in the UK, I met a guy. He was English, but he'd applied for residency in Australia. So basically I moved over there to be with him I ended up getting residency in Australia we got married and after five years I just decided it wasn't 100% I liked him but I couldn't see myself getting old with him and I just thought it's just not for me and so we got divorced and but I stayed in Australia because I loved it I love the lifestyle love swimming in the ocean just it's just really it's like my happy place so yeah and I just came back to the UK only for six months at the end of November last year it's now been nine months but all my family keeps saying you've moved back I'm like no I haven't I'm definitely not living here <laughs> so yeah
0: yeah. your website still says that you live in Australia so I think there's some intention in, in that there but um obviously I, I think it's hard for people to imagine that you didn't you weren't always a serial entrepreneur. In fact you did get some experience and, and like many of us had a normal full-time job working for someone else, presumably in a big office. So
1: what was that like and, and how long did you last in that kind of environment? So my first job out of uni, I worked for um a company called Wreck They do um I worked on LemSip and Dettel in their marketing team. And then I worked for um an online hair care product. And I launched a range of um, kitchen appliances into Australia. And one thing I found that working in a big company is that it was very much, this is how we do things. Like we take this path. We can't deviate off this path to look at other things. This was back, this was quite a while ago. So there was no influencer in marketing and stuff. And And I was like, maybe we should look at PR. And they were just like, we don't do PR. And there was no even consideration. It was just like that's not how we do it, and I found that quite frustrating um, because, you know, it's not that I thought I was necessarily right, but I didn't think there was any harm looking at other options. And I think that when you're working for a big company, that's often the challenge: is that y- you they have fixed ways of doing things, and it's a bit it's not formulaic, but it's quite the steps they go through can be quite. Um, Similar every time, and I found that very frustrating. I mean, there's obviously benefits to working in a big company as well, like you know, having R and D people on site, having uh, manufacturing on site, all that kind of stuff makes a huge difference in terms of speed to market. But for me, in terms of my role, I just found, in terms of marketing, it quite frustrating in that I wasn't, I couldn't just do what, try things and do what I thought might work, or even investigate what I thought might work. So I did actually go back and work for an online travel company in their marketing team in the UK in 2012. It was a one-year maternity cover. I only lasted six months. (laughs) (laughs) That tells us something. Yeah. Um, And they wanted me to stay on full-time and I went part-time after six months. And it wasn't that that was a much smaller business, like 30 people. But Again, I found it quite frustrating because even with a small business, it was quite siloed as in we only do this. We only do that. Neville the devil shall meet kind of thing. And um, I did manage to change a lot of things while I was there. And I got sales and marketing actually working together and we're getting better results. But it was still very um, challenging in that there was quite set ways of doing things. But then you do have people that want to help you at that starting phase and they really want to support you and and they like that you're doing something new and exciting and in some ways people like to support you because they feel like they probably wouldn't have the get up and go or the nerve to try it to go out on their own so when they see someone else doing it they're like this is awesome I'm gonna help them that's kind of my way of doing that but not doing it because I'm still in my safe little job or big job Mm.
0: Living vicariously through somebody else's Uh, life. Yeah. Yes. -hmm. I suppose there's two ways you can try and simplify lives for consumers. One way is to do something, a new product or something that's innovative. And then the other way is to actually help some of these businesses to optimize their processes to to run better. So I know you've had a bit of experience on both sides.
1: Yeah. I mean, It amazes me. With Hoopsie, I mean, I've done, we've been going, selling for about 12 months, and I've been doing a lot of pitching. So for people that don't know, so as a startup, you can, they run pitch competitions. You go and talk about your business normally for three minutes, and then judges ask you a few questions and sometimes there's a winner at the end of the night and sometimes there's not but it's a way to get your business out there and get it heard and seen the last or couple of pictures ago this lady came up and said social media what are you doing and I was like we're doing stuff but it's not going as well as I'd like and she's like I'm a social media manager I want to work with you for free for a month and help you and this happens a lot. Um, people want to help. They want to see you succeed because they love what you're doing. They love that you're passionate about it. And and it's amazing. I have been on both sides in terms of I people, startups come to me and say, oh, you know, how do I do this? How do I do that? And, and I just think it's so important to be able to share that knowledge and give the support to other people. That doesn't necessarily mean doing it for them. That just means introducing them to people that can help or whatever because you don't know what you don't know and i think that's the hard thing and asking for help and getting that support is so important um in anything whether it's in your business or in your job or in life and there's so many people out there willing to help and i just don't think we always realize that we always think we're the only person that doesn't know how to do x y z but actually people people like to see other people succeed. Yes. And I think I quite enjoy the the positive
0: story that you're sharing with us. But I'm sure that there were times when you were less optimistic and you needed help and and hopefully you got it. But, you know, what was probably the biggest challenge or the biggest lesson that you had to learn once you started on that I'm a business founder journey?
1: Um, I think it really was that... (sighs) I feel, and I still, even though we keep talking about authenticity and leaning in and all this kind of stuff, I still, and when I started my first business was 2004. So it was a lot, long time before all of this kind of stuff became trendy. And so I went to, um, my sister's a movie producer. We went to a premiere of one of her films recently. And um, yeah, it was, it was fun but it didn't, wasn't mind blowing. But then afterwards on social media, I saw someone's take on it on the evening and it made it look like it was the hottest event of the season. And I think it's that, I think it's that that's how people often come across. And yet in real life, it's not Mm. like that. And so I think for, I think for me, like the heart, that was one of the hardest things when people said, Oh, it's going amazingly well, not to feel like, Oh, I'm a loser or I'm not doing very well, because actually, it's, it's just like social media, that's just one tiny snippet in their day in their life. And I think, I think sometimes we get so suckered in with the perception that people are doing amazingly well, but actually, it's not always the reality.
0: Mm. Yeah, well, I think in in this kind of environment of social media, a lot of things may not look uh, or may look a certain way and then and i think that's true not just about the entrepreneurial space no. but just about anything and, yeah. and and having those sorts of genuine open connections and conversations is becoming a rarity and i think that's why we wanted to have that podcast not just to talk about a specific theme but just to be honest and maybe talk about some of these topics that people find taboo or just not you know it's not that easy to open up but um yeah and i, I as you were speaking i was also thinking about um Times when you probably also have to be honest with yourself, and if something's not working out, say no. Whether that was you know a relationship or your business, and I know you've sold a few businesses and you've moved in and out of different ideas. So how do you know when it's time to say goodbye
1: and maybe sell the business or move on to some something else? For me, it's all about passion. For me, I will only do things I love, that I'm passionate about, and when that passion goes, I just lose interest. And sometimes it happens like it takes years and sometimes it doesn't and I know in myself I can't do something if I'm not passionate about it and that's the same as roles I've done whether it's like before I when I started Hoopsy, I was working part-time in a customer service role because the business didn't have enough money to pay me at that stage and I wanted a, a brain dead job so that I could use brain power to think about my business and Uh, It got to I think I was there three or four months and I just hated it. I absolutely hated it. I didn't want to go, didn't want to do it, and I just called it and just said I just quit. And my friends are all like, "Why would you quit when you haven't got anything else to go to?" And I'm like, "Because I just hated it so much. I wasn't doing a good job. I wasn't feeling happy about doing it. And and maybe that is short sighted, but I know also at the end of the day that it's not actually that hard to get." another kind of role like that because it's not super highly skilled and but for me being happy and enjoying what I'm doing is and that some people are like well you can't always be happy and it's true you can't always be happy but like you really want I think you want 90% of your time to be spent doing stuff you love and why would you bother otherwise I it's like I just I just don't get it people that whinge about their job day in day out it's just you've only got one life (laughs) you know mm. you enjoy and I think that's how I've known every time that it just wasn't something that I wanted to continue doing and I think what's very telling about Hoopsie is that we're coming up to two years in December from when I started it and then time has gone in an absolute flash <laughs> and you know what they say time flies when you're having fun and mm-hmm. doing the right thing for me
0: Yes, and that actually is a very nice um, segue into what I was going to say next because I did read your your website and and one of the things that you say, this is a quote from from there, is that I want to reduce the amount of plastic going into landfill from pregnancy tests and know that every test that we sell means one less plastic test in the bin. This is what makes me jump out of bed each morning. So is that really would you say that that's kind of you found your passion combining sustainability with also building a community around fertility education um and do you still feel that way do you still jump out of bed every morning
1: well i have to be honest i wouldn't say every morning (laughs) Like, oh why'd the alarm go off but there's not that many of them Mm. um But yes, I mean, like this morning, I was scrolling through TikTok, I just uploaded a video for Hoopsie. And then I saw this girl had posted on her TikTok channel that she was pregnant. And she posted two pictures of pregnancy tests. One of them was a Hoopsie test. And I was like, yes, Yes. this is so good. Because a, you know, one less test in landfill. But also, I didn't pay her. I didn't send her a free product. I didn't ask her to post. She posted because she loved it. And that Is that's the stuff I love, and it doesn't happen every day. But I just think, for me, that well, I'm just really excited about that. (laughs) Everyone else is really Mm. nutter, but I—that's what makes it for me—is those moments. And I don't know, but I think so often in life, we we kind of go, "Not my problem." Oh, I'm just going to use another plastic bag, another straw, and what does one more matter? it does make a difference. Everything we do makes a difference. So if I can just change a few people's habits, a few people's perceptions about brand, brands in terms of sustainability, it's all going to have a knock-on effect. It's like, um, so when I was in Sydney, I used to do ocean swimming every day with friends. And every day I'd take a plastic bag with me to the beach, like an old bread bag or something. And I'd collect rubbish on the beach at the end of our swim. Not for long, but I don't know, 10 minutes maybe, just depending on how much time I had. And it got to the point where everyone else was also doing it as well. I didn't ask them to, but they Mm. did. And so I really think we need to lead by example.
0: Mm. Yeah. And I think I did read actually about Australia being particularly good about cleaning up their beaches. So I think that's something that we can all learn from. And it's probably wasn't just you. I'm sure there's many others who who do that and pay it forward. And so so I love that. I love that kind of thinking. Mm.
1: And I think sometimes we just don't think it will matter and yet it does it everything every action we do does make a difference or can make a difference and and yeah i just i mean i'm not saying i'm perfect all the time but i just think it's just it's all about just thinking about what you're doing before you do it and if you can do it then make a difference
0: well i think that sums up the ethos of hoopsie very nicely so what is what is next what are you excited about and what where do you hope where do you hope that journey would take you
1: Well, I have this grand vision. Um, I don't know if I will achieve it because it's pretty huge, which is to eliminate plastic from all home-based testing kits. So that's like COVID tests, diabetes tests, um, STI tests, all Mm -hmm. of those kind of tests because none of them need to be plastic. But we've just done it that way because we've always done it that way. And, And that's what I would like to achieve. But I think that even if I don't achieve it, then what I would like to do is or hope that I do is inspire other people to make a change, make a difference. And that because obviously I don't think I can do it on my own. I think it's going to take other people as well. Like So whether it's other brands coming out with more sustainable products or other um, companies in, or countries introducing laws, the tastic plastic taxes and things like that. I just think it's all those things will come together to achieve this. And, and that's, that's my grand vision, but it's, there's um over a billion tests sold every year globally. So of course, plastic well, ones.
0: Yes. Plastic. Yeah, and how many, I think you had the statistics somewhere, how much tons of, how many tons of plastic
1: that is. It's a huge number. Yeah. Um, over 11 million kilos. It's a huge, huge issue. And okay, there are bigger issues, but it's one of those things where this is much, such a small change that you can do if you are buying a pregnancy test is to just buy the sustainable one. Works just as well. And you're contributing to taking out some of that plastic. And I think that's the same with everything. And I think often sustainable products get a bit of a bad rap because people don't think they're as effective or they're too expensive. And I agree, a lot of them are expensive. But with our product it is the same price and it's the same accuracy. So there's really, I've tried to make it a no brainer. And that's what I feel we need to do as a society, make it easy for people to switch. And that's when people will switch because they don't have to learn a new way of doing things. They don't have to pay more. So why wouldn't they? Yeah. And I was
0: thinking about, um, if you could go back maybe to the beginning of that journey and just kind of whether it was your starting a business kind of journey or, you know, to trying to conceive, like what, what's the one thing that you would recommend to people or a piece of advice that you could save others a little bit of, of time and, and, and headache?
1: Oh, that's such a good question. I have to say the starting to conceive journey, I knew nothing about it. One of the things I didn't realize with fertility is, so obviously your egg gets released, then it gets fertilized then an embryo grows into a baby, short story. But that egg starts its journey to get to your um, uterus a year before it gets there. So everything you're doing in that one year leading up to that ovulation is is affecting that egg. So things in terms of nutrition, things in terms of exercise, in terms of lifestyle, and it's not like I'm, you know, crack addicts that drinks every night but you know there's always things you can do like just you know losing weight makes a big difference if you are a bit overweight that makes a big difference to if you try and conceive naturally and yes the, there's always outliers there's always that person that we know that weighs like I don't know a lot and is pregnant but the research does show that all of these lifestyle factors go into affecting your fertility and I think that that's one thing if I'd have known that I would have made more effort on that front. And I think that's something we don't always realize. And also, if you're in a couple, it's not just the girl, it's the guy as well. You know, like they need to um, look at that and what their lifestyle is like. And that massively affects your fertility. So, yeah, that will be something. And no one tells you. Like, I mean, I was seeing um, fertility specialists. And when I, so I had my eggs um, harvested first time, and she just said, take these supplements. She didn't say, Exercise. She didn't say eat better. She didn't say stop drinking. should not say stop smoking. Oh, I don't smoke, but you know, she didn't tell me any of this stuff. It's just all ex- you're expected to know it, and mm-hmm. when we don't know it. If we do know it, it's like, yeah, I know I need to do that, but I'll get there. And you don't end up doing it. So, yeah, that would be my big piece of advice. If you mm-hmm. are going down that fertility journey, it's really a case of having your body in the best possible shape it can be, because that will help you conceive more quickly and it will hopefully make you feel better as well so yeah that's like a that, that message yeah, that's, that's the yeah. um added bonus isn't it that you feel good and when thing when you feel good things always go better i find anyway there's that kind of uh
0: rule of life which is something that i i i, I absolutely believe in But I mean, look, so if people um, wanted to find you, you're on hoopsie.com. And then if they wanted to get some advice or resources, that's also available there. And can anyone join the community? Is it free to join?
1: Yeah, it's free to join the community. There's a tab when you go to the website at the top, you just click on. You just need to enter an email and a password to join. But that's just so that what what happens in the community stays in the community. Yeah. And if you want to get in touch, like my phone numbers on the website, do WhatsApp me. Some people do WhatsApp me a lot, which is lovely. Um, So it's a case of like, I'm more than happy to chat to people about what I've been through or put you in touch with people. And sometimes it's just enough for people to know that there's someone out there that does actually care and will help them. Yeah. Yeah, you have to be careful with those invitations. You never know what
0: you're gonna get, Laura. But look, I think hopefully we've given people out there some ideas, some hope, some desire to maybe connect with others and much like you approach thing with a with optimism and positivity and try and meet other people, other women or anyone really, um, who's willing to, to help them uh work towards their goals.
1: I would just say one thing, actually, when you because I know a lot of people that are looking for friends and say that so hard to make friends when you're in your thirties, forties, change the number, whatever. And one thing I found is that it is, it is really a case of asking them. Like I've met a lot of people at networking events, and I say I'd love to keep in touch. Can I get your number? Can we catch up? And then actually following them up and saying, Do you want to do coffee? Do you want to do da da da? So. And what's the worst they can say? Sorry, I'm busy. Like, I just think you've just got to put yourself out there a bit. And um, it surprises me the number of people that don't. And yet when you do, you just have some amazing connections and make some amazing friends and makes it all worthwhile. What's there to lose. Exactly. My conversation with Lara reminded
0: me of why it's so important today to be the change that we want to see in the world. And stop waiting for someone else to do that for us. Next time on the show, we have fintech entrepreneur Nikki Seville, who set up her own consulting business before embarking on a journey to improve access to financial planning for women. Thank you so much for listening to The Sound of Breaking Glass. If you enjoyed this episode, please don't forget to follow us on your podcast app, tell a friend about us, or check us out on LinkedIn new episodes are released every other Wednesday. It's been a real pleasure. Till next time.